0: Hi, I'm Justin, and it's December 3rd, and you're watching Horizon Church Online.
1: with me for a moment that an author is writing a story. He creates the characters. He creates the boundaries and the rules and the genre in which he's writing. He establishes the laws for how the story will play out. He crafts this world and fills it with people that he creates. But this, this scenario I'm describing is no ordinary story. See the characters are written as small authors themselves they have the power to write their own dialogue and to influence even some of the plot of the story. Now, they can't change the parameters of the story. They're still locked within the story. They still have to obey the laws and the boundaries of the story, but they can affect their own trajectories throughout the story. But what began as a beautiful story, a story of love, a story of joy, soon becomes a horror story. The characters, drunk with the freedom, this ability to write their own stories within the larger story, soon begin to defy their destiny and the foreshadowing and the purposes and the direction that the author put into the story. They ignore his boundaries and they plunge the story and their stories into chaos. Now, the, the characters soon suffer the backlash of their actions, their own perverse Writing becomes the world, the ruined story in which they must live. Now, at this point, the author could close the book. He could simply say, the end, it's over, shut the book, and the characters are trapped in their story of their own making uh, forever. But instead, he enters the story himself as a character. He rescues the plot using his own blood as ink to rewrite the parts of the story that have been ruined. He makes a new ending. He redeems the story. He redeems the plot. He redeems the characters. (laughs) The author lays down his life to rescue his characters. Now, obviously, you probably picked up on that. I'm not just describing some made-up scenario. I'm helping us understand the story of Jesus in a new light. The Bible tells us that the story of Jesus happens like this. In Matthew 1, starting in verse 18, it says the birth of Jesus Christ came about this way. After his mother Mary had been engaged to Joseph, it was discovered before they came together that she was pregnant from the Holy Spirit. And so her husband Joseph, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her publicly, decided to divorce her secretly. But after he had considered these these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream saying, Joseph... Son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary as your wife, because what has been conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to name him Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what was spoken by the Lord through the prophet. See, the virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son, and they will name him Emmanuel, which is translated, God is with us. So I want to just pull out a couple things in this story of Jesus so that we can understand it maybe in a fresh light or in a richer, deeper way. Because I truly believe the author has entered the story, and the story will never be the same now. First of all, you'll notice in this passage uh, that it says that Jesus was born to a virgin. And you might be wondering, Alex, do you really believe that a woman who's never had sex really had a kid? Like, that's scientifically impossible, right? Do you really believe that. And uh, there's increasingly a number of denominations and a number of uh, religious groups around the country who are taking the position that, well, it's impossible for a virgin to get pregnant. And so, you know, Mary and Joseph must have just fooled around and the Bible's just wrong. I don't take that position. If we believe that there is actually a God who created the world with a word. If we believe that there's a God who rose his son from the dead, it makes sense that he's also able to have a virgin get pregnant. I don't have a problem with believing this at all. If we truly believe that there is a God who has all power, it makes sense that he'd be able to do something that's scientifically impossible. He wrote the boundaries of the story, and he can change the boundaries of the story, the roles in which the story operates to especially when he's inserting himself into the story, he's making a whole new way into uh, the story, into the world. Now, it's also interesting if Jesus was born of a man then it would be really hard to try to trace this idea of a divine lineage right if jesus is fully god and fully man we understand he's fully man because he comes from the genetic makeup of mary but he's fully god because he had no earthly father now this by no means suggests that god had some kind of sexual relations with mary there's some Uh, religious sects that believe that? That's just ridiculous. The idea is that God is a spirit. He doesn't have a physical body. He's not like the Greek or Roman gods who would come down and have human consorts and have half children. Jesus was not just an offspring of God. Jesus is God. He's always existed for all time and always will exist. God who created life can easily put life inside an empty womb just as easily as he can raise life out of an empty tomb if we believe in the resurrection that jesus christ came back from the dead then we can just as easily believe in the virgin birth that god put jesus into a womb uh, that you know into an empty womb they're equally as easy or as hard to believe and if you reject the resurrection there's no point in believing in any part of christianity Paul said if there was no resurrection, then we've all been fooled, we've all been tricked, and this is all a waste of our time. And so if you believe in the resurrection, I think it's just as easy, if not easier, to believe in the virgin birth. The next thing I kind of want to note about this birth of Jesus is Joseph, the the earthly father who would raise him and bring him up and who he would be trained under. It's very interesting to me what we learn about Joseph in this passage. We don't know a lot about him from Scripture, but I think what we see here is very interesting. He finds out here that his uh, fiance has gotten pregnant, and he's like, it wasn't me that got her pregnant, and so naturally he assumes she's been unfaithful to him, and he says, okay, I'm going to divorce her quietly. Now, why do they need a divorce if she's just a fiance? Because before you came together in first century Jewish custom, they were legally married, but they would not yet live together or have physical relations together until after the wedding ceremony. So Joseph probably during this time was getting his affairs in order be a husband and was building uh, a new space onto his father's house if his father was still alive or was preparing the home for his new wife to come. And so during this time they were legally married so he was still responsible for her. So when they traveled to Bethlehem she still had to travel with him but they would actually live separately until they had the wedding ceremony. But notice here that he says that he's going to divorce her quietly Under the Old Testament law, he had the right to demand her death. He could have said, because she's been unfaithful, she got pregnant, it wasn't me. She needs to die. In fact, demanding her death would keep his standing as a righteous man. So, if he didn't deny her death, some people would assume that it was him that got her pregnant. And by denying that, by uh, denying the law its right to see Mary killed, he was actually possibly endangering endangering his reputation in the community. So this tells us a lot about Joseph. Joseph was willing to show mercy, even at considerable social cost, to himself. Now, um, when I was in college, I watched this television show called Smallville, and it was about Superman growing up, in Smallville, Kansas, and kind of before he became Superman, what it was like to grow up with his family and to be in high school and have friends. And uh, I remember this one particular episode that I thought was very interesting. So if you know the story of Superman, he's an alien, super-powered alien from another planet who his planet's destroyed, so his parents send him to Earth, and he's raised by these kind farmers, the Kets. Now, in Smallville, there was an episode where Superman's father came back, came to Earth in the 70s, and he found the Kents because he knew his planet was going to be destroyed and he had to send his son. And he says, I want to put my son with a father who will love him and will be kind like I am. And I thought that was a really interesting idea. And obviously, in the comic book world, you know, that's one thing. But I think it also says something to us about God the Father that he chose Joseph to put Jesus with. You know, Jesus could have picked any father on earth to grow up under, to be raised by, but he chose a man who showed mercy, who didn't demand the full measure of the law, but showed mercy even at extreme cost to himself. Now, I think many times we look at this example of Joseph's mercy and we think, wow, Joseph is more merciful than the idea we have about how God is. God put Jesus with Joseph because he said he's going to be a father like I'm a father. He's going to be merciful. He's going to be kind. He's going to be loving. And so this, this little glimpse into Joseph's life actually tells us a lot about God the Father. You notice next the, it mentions that Jesus uh, will be called Jesus because he will save us from our sins the name jesus simply means the lord says it's the same name as joshua if you know someone named joshua that's equivalent uh, meaning wise to the name jesus now well, people haphazardly today name their kids all kinds of things i looked up some of the crazy names that celebrities name their kids listen to some of these apple ode mountain buddy bear pilot inspector with a k moon unit or river rocket um, you know people just they hear some crazy phrase and they're like i'm naming my kid that that's not how it was in bible times in fact in bible times they would try to name you around a chief characteristic and sometimes if you developed a chief characteristic your name would change to fit or reflect that Um, sometimes god would change people's names sometimes the family would change people's names they expected your name to give you insight into who you were and to give other people into insight into who you were. So God's really revealing something fundamentally about who he is when he says, I've come to earth and my name is going to be Jesus. God is always about saving people. He's like, if you're going to sum up my chief characteristic, it's this. I rescue people. I'm a ransom for people. He's telling us that the basic response of any situation is to rescue people, to ransom people, to be a hero in our world or in our story. Now, if someone accredits something to God that isn't reflective of his tendency to save or rescue people, they are likely misrepresenting God. He says, you want to know who I am? I'm Jesus. I'm the Lord that saves. And it says here that he's going to save us from sin. Jesus rescues us from sin, the destructive things that we all say and do and think. He wants to pre- uh, present us with an opportunity to follow him, to become his followers, to become students of the way that he lived and loved uh, so that we can turn from our self-destructive actions and turn towards his abundant life that he offers. And so Jesus invites us to follow him, to accept his free gift of a better life, a free gift of salvation, to become his students so we can live with Uh, peace and joy and hope and fulfillment and purpose and it begins when we say lord jesus i believe you're the son of god that you actually came to this world 2,000 years ago and that you died on the cross to pay the penalty to make full atonement to make full restoration between the brokenness between me and god because of the destructive things that i've said and done and thought And I want to follow you. I want to model my life on the way that you lived and loved so that I can know you now in this world and I can know you forever in the world after. Next, we move down to this idea that I want to uh, spend a little bit of time dwelling on. And it's this idea of God is with us. Um, This is a quote from Isaiah 714 where it says, A virgin will become pregnant and give birth to a son. They will name him Emmanuel, which is translated God is with us. So what does that mean? God is with us. Um, you know, he he adds in this detail to the story here to let us know that this is not just a special prophet that's being born. This is not just a special rabbi or teacher. This is not just going to be a special leader in the nation like there were judges in the Old Testament and kings and prophets and priests. He says, no, no, this is the promised Messiah. This is the guy that Isaiah was talking about. Joseph, you're not just having an everyday baby or just some kind of one-off special. This is the baby that's been talked about since the beginning of time, since Adam and Eve fell and God promised that someone would come and restore shalom, this worldwide peace and harmony of everything working together, everything working together in good he was letting Joseph know this is Emmanuel. This is God himself coming to earth. And so as we pick apart, what does that mean, God with us? I mean, there's an obvious answer here. It means that God's physically going to be on earth with us. In the garden, at the beginning of the world, when man, uh, man and woman, Adam and Eve, they broke God's laws, they turned away from him, they hid from him, right? Now God's coming to look for us. He's coming down to find us. There's also more in this statement, though, than simply that God is physically going to be here on this planet. Um, I remember the first time that Darby, my wife, and I went to a Phillies Braves game. Now, my wife is from Atlanta. She spent uh, the vast majority of her life living in Atlanta, and she is a die-hard Braves fan. I mean, she loves the Braves. When we go to a Phillies Braves game, and I'm wearing my Phillies cap and, you know, she's decked out in her Braves shirt and she's got a brave foam finger and she's got a Braves hat. And there is no question who she is with when we're there. Everyone knows she's rooting for the Braves. She's with the Braves. Now, they can look at me and they're like, he's wearing a Phillies hat. He's sitting next to this crazy Braves fan. But he must be for the Phillies. He's with the Phillies. But she, there's no question about it. She is with the Braves. No one looks at her and says, I wonder if she's a Phillies fan. I mean, you can look at her and tell that she is not. No one expects her to be rooting for the Phillies. They see her dressed like that. They see her shouting and yelling and getting up and getting excited when the Braves score and everyone knows she's for the Braves. So Emmanuel is God wearing human colors. It's God wearing the human jersey. It's God saying, I'm for humans i am for them i am with them i'm rooting for them you know it makes me think of that old statement you're either with us or you're against us god is with us he's not against us he is for us see christmas is god shouting from heaven i love you i won't leave you i won't forsake you i'm with you i'm for you i'm there for you i'll never give up on you it reminds us that we're not alone in the universe. See, Christmas, the whole idea of it denies deism. Deism is the idea that there's a God somewhere and he has no interest in our lives. He's too busy. He's too far away. He's too distant. He started the world and he left it to its own devices. Deism is the idea that there is a distant God in the universe who just leaves us to our own destructive purposes. But Christmas, the whole idea of Christmas is that God has invaded Our world he has come to earth to win back what was his he's come to restore what was to make things better he didn't send a messenger he didn't act by proxy he came himself God's not worried about getting his hands dirty he's not worried about taking on human form walking around on human earth experiencing sweat and tears and blood and tiredness and hunger, he became human. God intertwined his fate with the fate of humanity because what happens to the human race now happens to him because he became human. He became like us so that we might become like him. I like to think of the idea of Emmanuel like this. Imagine humanity, weak, defeated, Facing all the evil powers of the universe. You know, you can picture it in your mind in kind of this comic book standoff. You've got your heroes over here. They're all defeated and beat up and dirty. And they're exhausted. And you've got all the enemy over here. And there's just way more of them than we could ever face or stand on our own. And then right at that standoff moment where we're like, it's over for these guys. Humanity is finished. We point over to the most beautiful, most powerful, most glorious, most wonderful being in the universe. And we say, oh, by the way, he's with us. That's what Emmanuel is. That's what God is saying. But you know what? Most of us walk through our everyday lives feeling like everyone is against us, that no one is for us. The best we can do is to fight for our own, to be on our own. We've gotta do it. If we don't make it happen, it's not going to happen. We need reminded that God is for us. He is with us. He's much stronger and bigger and more beautiful than any of us can ever be. We're not alone. The most powerful, beautiful being in the universe is for you, he's with you, And he wants to fight for you, to protect you, to go with you and clear the path before you. That's what we're saying when we say, Emmanuel. It's not just, hey, I'm here on earth now. I'm geographically on the same planet as you. It's, I'm for you. I'm with you. I'd come across great distances. I'd suffer great pain and heartache to rescue you, to be with you, to be with you forever. And so we need to live in this immediate assurance of Emmanuel, God with us, God for us, every single day. In Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, it says this, Now we, we know what we have. We have Jesus, this great high priest who has ready access to God. Let's not let it slip through our fingers We don't have a high priest who is out of touch with our reality. He's been through weakness. He's been through testing. He's experienced everything that we have, everything except sin. So let's walk right up to him and give what he is so, let's walk right up to him and get what he is so ready to give us. Take mercy and accept the help that he gives us. That's Hebrews 4, 14 through 16 in the message translation. I think so many times we go through life thinking, I'm on my own. I have to do this myself. It's all on me. And Jesus is like, no, I've come. I'm with you. I'm for you. Give it to me. I want to take it. I want to give you the mercy and the help that you need. So I think our application today is simple. We easily forget that God is with us, that God is for us, that he understands the human condition, that he knows that we need help. Find some way to remind yourself every day that God is with you, God is for you, God is there to help you, that Jesus is at work all around you, that the Holy Spirit is at work inside of you, and that God is walking with you. Write a note on your mirror where you get ready in the morning, or on your refrigerator, or put a reminder in your phone, or send yourself an email every day that just says God is with you, God is for you. And then I want you to pray to God to give you an opportunity to share this message of hope with somebody else this week. Let them know that the story of Christmas, this season just opens up opportunities because we see Christmas all around us. But Christmas so many times is lights and presents and money spending and, you know, all this chaos. Remind people that the message of Christmas is simply this. God is for you. God's not against you. Jesus is with you. You're not on your own. And he's ready and willing to give you help let's pray lord jesus thank you so much for this reminder that you are with us you are emmanuel you're not a far off distant god you're a god who's here at work ever present in our lives god forgive me for so many times holding on to all this weight that you're like i'm right here give it to me i can take it i'm not far off i'm not distant i'm here i'm with you i'm for you i'm fighting for you and i'm strong enough to take your burdens Lord, I pray that people will be reminded and encouraged by the reality of who you are and that you've come here to help us. And Lord, I pray that we will share this message of hope this Christmas, not a message of we have to spend more and go to all these places and meet with all these people and get all this done and it's chaos and craziness, but we may rest in hope and peace knowing that you're a God who loves us and you're a God who's gone before us and you're a God who still works in us and around us. And I pray this all like I believe Jesus would.
0: Amen. Now to tell you some great stuff that's happening over the next few weeks at Horizon. Our live service this month is next week, Sunday, December 10th at 10 a.m. at the Ardmore Music Hall, 23 East Lancaster Avenue, Ardmore, Pennsylvania. Invite your friends, neighbors, and family to join us. On December 17th is our next online service which Nick Snyder will be sharing in his first message online December 17th as part of our Advent Christmas series. Plan to watch his message online at horizonphilly.com messages. If you can't make it to our December 10th service at the Arbor Music Hall and you would like to give to the church, please remember you can always give online. Your giving allows Horizon to serve the community, meet monthly for worship services, and pay for our online presence. If you would like to give a tax-deductible donation to support the work of Horizon Community Church, you can give online at horizonphilly.com give. Also, did you know that we have our online services posted each week as a podcast? You can find all our messages on iTunes as Horizon Community Church Philadelphia. If you ever have any questions about Horizon Community Church, the message today, or Christianity in general, please contact us at connect at horizonphilly.com or call or text us at 484-380-5833. From all of us at Horizon Community Church, we hope you have a very Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday Season.